0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret... And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Heather Chauvin. She's a leadership
1: coach who helps ambitious, overwhelmed women break free from their fears to courageously and authentically live, work, and parent on their own terms. Heather is the host of the podcast Emotionally Uncomfortable and the author of Dying to Be a Good Mother, How I Dropped the Guilt and Took Control of My Parenting and My Life. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, ladies. I'm so
2: excited to be here.
0: Let's start where this very significant part of your story starts, December 21st, 2013. Take us back to that day, how you started that day and where that day ended up taking you. Yeah, it's always the journey that gets us to those days and those moments. Isn't that unfortunate? We'd like to just have it be the calm stream that takes us to the places we want to go. Yes. And we're always like, the day. Take me back to the day. So
2: December 21st, 2013 was a day I will never forget. So I live in Ontario in Canada. It should have been, should have been snowing that day, a few days before the holidays. And I finally went to the emergency room. My husband actually had to bring me to the emergency room because the night before I went by myself and I ran away. And I told myself that I don't deserve to be here. I am not sick enough. And I don't have the time for this. Yeah. If it was for anyone else, I would have been there. I would have waited it out. I went back the next day and he said, I am not leaving or we are not leaving until you are seen by a doctor. And I walked in, my abdomen was bloated. I had mild back pain, and I kind of showed up like, yeah, mild back pain, abdominal bloating, knowing that I was in so much excruciating pain, losing weight rapidly. And I remember the nurse said to me, "'Oh, honey, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't be here.'" And I said, "'That's the point. I'm not pregnant.'" And they looked at me with like big eyes and like, oh, okay. And they were kind of surprised as to how I was responding emotionally. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Let's just check this out. So we waited. And on the spot, after hours of waiting and testing and all the things, they did a CT on my abdomen and some blood work. And the doctor came in and said, Heather, you have cancer. We just don't know what kind it is, but based on your blood work, the CT and your age, we are certain it is cancer. And the interesting part about that moment was it was confirmation. Like every part of my being knew. And in my book, I talk about this, but it was about months before, or maybe a few months before I actually said to my husband, and in hindsight, I'm like, why would I say this? I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I had cancer? No idea why I said that. It's not funny, right? So I don't know why I said that. <laughs> he like, no, it wouldn't be <laughs> <a> hilarious, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs>
3: There's
2: a couple of reasons that's weird. <laughs> Which, I know, but I was like, why would I say that? The point is I was thinking about it, right? Like, what if I'm really sick? And it was just that instant like confirmation. Like someone tells you something and you're like, I knew it. I knew it. Like that knowing, that inner instinct. And I just remember walking out of the hospital that night, everything slowed down. And I just looked up and I'm like, you finally have my attention. I will listen. I will slow down. And I've never been the same since.
1: And you are a mother. You were a mother at this time in 2013.
2: Yeah. So I have three boys. They're 17, 12 and 10. So my
1: youngest was
2: around a year old and my oldest was nine. Yeah.
1: And so how do you experience that news as a mother? Are you experiencing it first like, oh, my God, my kids or oh, my God, myself? Does that change how you take this bad news in?
2: I think reality hits around like, you know, your worst, not your worst nightmare, because my worst nightmare wouldn't be something happening to me, but something happening to people that I care about. But my brain shifted to like, I need to survive for them, right? Not I need to survive for myself, but I need to survive for them. And... Ironically, my oldest son, his biological father died. And at the time I was like, I am his everything. Like I cannot leave this earth yet. And that like inner will and desire to live and survive was like 10X. I was like, I am going to act as if I'm going to survive. And so I think my determination that like mama bear came out when I was diagnosed.
0: You have a line that I think is really deep. Cancer gave me permission to stop suffering. Tell us about like what that looked like for you, that revelation.
2: Yeah, so it actually breaks my heart because when I'm talking to a lot of people or I'm telling my story, they'll say, you're so inspiring, but I don't have a story like yours. So kind of like I can't really take action yet on what I want or desire because I should be grateful for what I have. I should be grateful for my life. And I'm like, but you're not fulfilled. You're not content. So why are you choosing suffering? And I just remember, I don't know when it was in my journey, but I'm like, I have checked that box and I will never go back there again. Like I am done neglecting myself. And I get as bold to say killing off parts of myself, my mental health, my physical well-being, my desires, my spiritual growth, like anything that I want or need. I am done neglecting that part of myself to prove to others that I am a good insert, right? Good mother, good woman, good business owner, good wife, good sister, good friend, good anything. I don't feel good. So I am done being something for other people. And I just remember like, it was like a "Mm, done, I am done suffering. And it wasn't about how can I be done suffering when I have stage four cancer, like uh, just a choice. There I am, like at the bottom. And I'm like, I am done. And so I had to consciously choose my way out every single day. But I didn't suffer through it, if that makes sense.
1: What's the difference between not suffering, but accepting help, like I can see that that would be the pitfall for me, the caregiver in this situation to be the one that needs attention and love and care and to be held. How do you go about accepting that when you're the one who usually gives that out?
2: I think it's self-awareness first, realizing that you're not receiving I always say women have so many receiving wounds and receiving muscles. And even when it looks like somebody's receiving, like receiving a lot of help, they're not actually allowing it all the way in. I learned that a lot during my journey. Like I remember being in the hospital and people wanting to help me and me getting annoyed with it because I'm like, ah. And then I got to this point where I realized that me actually cutting off, letting them help me was actually doing a disservice to their healing process. Like I was pushing them away and it was actually making it worse because they felt so helpless. So whether it was them bringing me food that I knew I wouldn't eat or like trying to help with the kids or do something, even though it wasn't the help that I quote unquote wanted or needed, they were doing it for self-serving. It's like when we're trying to, you know, the holidays are coming up, you're giving to these people, you know, you're like, oh, look at us. We like sponsored a family or we're going downtown doing whatever. Yeah, where are you the other 12 months or the other 11 months of the year? Like it is so self-serving how we want to help other people, which is fine. But understand that learning to receive help is not always about you. It's understanding how the side effect of once you do receive help, not only is going to allow you to become better, but also how that impacts your children, impacts your family, impacts every single person that you interact with.
0: And we want to keep exploring the lessons, but first tell us how you're doing with your health. I'm doing fabulous. I am
2: healthier than I've ever been in my entire life, even as a child. And I remember this moment where like at the beginning, I'm trying to run away from disease. Like, okay, I got to get further away from it. Okay, tell me what to do. Okay, now I'm in remission, which I went into remission rather quickly. But then I remember when, you know, Western medicine could only get me so far. And then I started looking into functional medicine. And I was already, because I have a therapy background, I was a social worker, I was already into like emotional well being and healing. And I was into personal development for nine years before this happened. So it wasn't like this was my big awakening. I already left my corporate job, started my business into meditation and mindfulness. So I was like, hey, take a holistic approach. And so now I'm not afraid and running away from disease, I'm like, how good can it get? How healthy can I feel? You know, optimizing my health and well being, rather than trying to like prevent disease, if that makes sense.
0: We're gonna take a break. And I want to when we come back, talk about some of the changes that this caused in your life and how that can look and feel practically for other people. We're talking to Heather Chauvin, the author of dying to be a good mother, and we'll be right back. fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to Lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E,
1: Lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for
0: sponsoring this episode. So Heather, you talk about in your, after this diagnosis sort of reprioritizing things in your life. And again, I think it's important, and I want to underscore something you said. This is work that is available to all people at all times. You don't have to wait until your life is threatened or you get to this very dark place to start implementing some of the practices you're talking about. So, Let's start with talking about asking yourself, what is it that I want and and coming from that place and what that gives you? There's so much
2: I want to say about what is it that I want. Because when I ask people that, I get a lot of like stares back at me, a lot of fear. And I've always wondered why that's such a difficult question for people. I don't know if it's because I was an only child and I spent a lot of time with myself. I became a mom at a very young age. I was 18. and so. There was a lot of like what I called not this moments where I was like, not this, not this, not this. And I wanted, I was determined to not become a statistic very early on in my mothering journey. And because I never wanted my son to feel the way that I felt as a child. So when I ask people like, what is it that you want? I think that's a very intimidating question. So then I ask, how do you want to feel? We all know how we want to feel we know we want to feel light, we want to feel energized, we want to feel strong, confident, all the things. I've never heard someone say, I want to be disempowered. Like We know how we want to feel. I think the fear comes in when we don't know how to get from point A to point B. And so when my diagnosis happened, I really looked at like how do I want to feel? And at the moment, I felt like dead inside. I had no energy. I had no, like, I couldn't really do much. And I'm like, this is not the way that I want to feel. There's a story that I tell often where I'm in the bathroom in between hospital visits, like three o'clock in the morning. It seems when everyone has their epiphanies, I'm on the floor in fetal position crying. And again, trying to hold everything in because I don't want to disturb my family using air quotes, right? It's like shove my stuff down. And in my head, I'm repeating, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, because I'm overwhelmed. I'm paralyzed in fear. And it's just like pulsating through me. And there was this moment where I was like, okay, you're here. Be present. You're not dead yet, Heather. Like, Be present. And then I could shift my mind to go, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel in this moment? Because I find so many of us get stuck in the day-to-day. And then we're like, well, I can't, I can't. And then we just keep repeating patterns. So I shifted it to how do you want to feel? I'm like I want to feel alive. I want to feel alive. And so I started that kind of you can call it a mantra but that conversation in my mind. I want to feel alive. I want to feel alive. I want to feel alive. And then the next question I asked myself is okay, what little tiny action do you need to take to feel alive right now or tomorrow? And then fear washed over me again. And I was like I have no idea how to feel alive. And I'm like I don't know if I've ever been taught if it's ever been shown to me by another woman, or if I've ever felt this way for a very long time in my life. And that was the pivotal moment. The next day waking up and going, how do I want to feel today? I want to feel alive. Well, what would an alive person do? They would probably get out of bed and take a shower. So that's what I did the next day. And then the day after that, I was like, get out of bed, take a shower, sit on the porch get out of bed, take a shower, go for a 10-minute walk. And like slowly, slowly, slowly brought myself back to life. And then that's where courage came in. That's where I had to be like, all right, what's the next thing I'm craving? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And that has led me to where I am today, which is like when people are like, you must be overwhelmed. You must be busy. And I'm like, no, I have opted out of the toxic womanhood, toxic mother culture. I'm like, I feel great. My kids... Our kids, like it's not peachy all the time, but we're okay because I'm living a proactive lifestyle instead of a reactive lifestyle. And it just happened with tiny habits every day.
1: The part about being emotionally uncomfortable, to go to the title of your podcast, is it seems to me that they're sort of saying there's two moments. There's like, I don't know how I want to feel. That's an uncomfortable moment. And then the deeper discomfort is, I want to feel alive and I don't know how to go about that. Is that the moment that you're asking people to double click on?
2: Well, I think it's the feeling word. Like, I'm asking people to feel. And it was funny because my podcast, so I've been podcasting for like eight years, seven years, and it was called Mamas in Control when it started because I was doing target market research and these women are like, I want to feel in control. Well, controlling is like a very masculine like word, like control. I want to control. And I'm like, you want to feel and you want to control like yin and yang. So as you know, I kept talking, I was the same person I am today, but it was the beginning of this year when I rebranded it to Emotionally Uncomfortable because I'm like, you say you want abundance, you say you want to feel alive, but you're not willing to feel you're not willing to actually do that because Brene Brown calls it foreboding joy. The closer you get to how you want to feel, joy is actually the most vulnerable emotion of all because the closer you get to it, you're like, oh, something bad's going to happen. And then you run away. And so emotionally uncomfortable is yes, you got to go to your edge of like, this is my comfort zone. Now I have to do something that's uncomfortable. It might just be holding a boundary. You know, that needy person is texting you and they're like, we need to talk. We need to talk. And you're like in the middle of work or doing something for yourself. Or you might be on a walk and you don't want to sabotage your walk. And you just look at your phone and you're like, you know what? I'm going to hold a boundary for myself. And I'm just, I'm going to respond to them when I get back home. And that is going to be emotionally uncomfortable for you. And then... You know,
0: also digging in and going, what is it that I really want? We've talked to Dr. Linetta Willis on the podcast, and she has a concept, stable misery. And it's, I think in motherhood, we have an excuse to put ourselves last because we are busy and we're taking care of other people. But there's a safety in that that we don't talk about very much. The feeling of, we talk about it as a sacrifice, but we don't talk about it as you do in the book and in your TED Talk so well about, actually, you're kind of hiding out in that life a little bit. And we think of it as, oh, but we're just sacrificing everything, but you're stepping towards a cliff that is... What if I put my needs higher on my list and what are the fears there? They won't come true or I won't be a good mom if I'm happy. What do you think people are afraid of? Themselves, judgment of others. And
2: I wrote my children an apology letter after I got to a moment where like, you know, I just kept pulling the layers back, pulling the layers back. And it was just by continuously asking myself, how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? And I think it was a few years ago, And I had that moment where I was like, oh, no, I've been using my children as an excuse. It's one thing to say, I don't have enough time. Time is not a person. But I think there's adults who know what it feels like to have the burden that their parents, especially their mother, has put on them to say, I gave you everything. You owe me. I did everything for you. I sacrifice for you. You owe me. My children owe me nothing. I expect them to become good humans, but they don't owe me anything. I don't expect my children to be my purpose for happiness. Who am I if I'm not a mother? Do I still have purpose beyond motherhood? Do I still have purpose beyond being a business owner? Do I still have purpose beyond being a partner? Like, those are big, scary questions to ask yourself. And when I continuously said, How do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? and start fulfilling myself, now those questions don't feel so scary because I'm like, Yeah, I would be okay. Am I going to be, you know, my oldest, he's done high school. Next year. Like, and I could tell you the grief process that I have gone through just feeling it happen the last few years. And I'm like, wow, if I didn't do this work, I would be a disaster because I'd be like, who am I without him? He's been in my life since I was 18 years old. Who am I without him? So I think it always comes down to fear, right? The fear of judgment. But on a deeper, deeper primal level, like we have to give ourselves some grace that this isn't just about don't care what other people think. There's like patriarchy involved in this, like systematic oppression, trauma. There's like so much more, right? Like I've been bred to be this person. It is expected of me that I show up in this way. Those are not the same expectations my husband has right? Like the little tiny, tiny things. And so I've learned to give myself a lot of grace and I tell women to do the same. Like as you're becoming who you want to become, understand that it's a consistency game. It's a slow, patient game. It's subtle, subtle shifts. But it's not just your thoughts that are stopping you or your the gender roles. Like you are in this system of oppression and and who you're supposed to be regardless if you have children or not if you don't have children that's a whole other mountain that you have to climb as a woman but the interesting part about that is watching like this identity crisis that we go through or or shift where i'm like i'm leaving my tribe like i had to start unsubscribing from memes and Instagram follows, like following people on Instagram where it was like, ha ha ha, coffee for days, don't remember, you know, wine o'clock, all of that, like such toxicity. And then observing that in my relationships with other women, trying to connect with me through their pain and suffering. And I'm like, we all feel it. Like I'm human. I have moments of suffering and challenge, but I want to know what your soul craves. Don't try to connect with me through your pain. Like let's connect through your desires.
1: optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder.
0: Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did
1: we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's
0: S-P-O-R-T-S, R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WhatFresh for 50% off your hydrate electrolytes order. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is So Heather, tell us, I'm thinking
1: about listening to this and being a mom with younger kids, as many of our listeners are, right? Like I'm home with a two-year-old and a baby. I thank God I've not had a health crisis that, you know, caused a catastrophic shift in how I view my precious life. But I want to do this and I want to make time for me and not because the kids are about to leave the house, but because they're not. I have another decade of finding joy in what can be very hard day to day. Where do you suggest that that listener begins?
2: Yeah, this is my favorite question. One is the reason why I do what I do is so that I can lead and you don't have to have the same life experiences. Right, right. So understanding that every time you see somebody podcasting or writing a book or being on stage, you can be inspired by them. But please understand that they're literally screaming at you. So that it's like, don't do what I did. And I also think there's a huge time and place for people, quote unquote, everyday people who are like, I'm not unhappy and I have everything. What's going on? Like, we just all need to speak our truth more. So if you have a desire to do that, speak up, speak it out, because that creates connection with other people. That in itself is going to be a game changer. But there's something that I call the 10 minute rule. I'm a huge fan of Atomic Habits, the book, James Clear. Everyone needs to go read that book. It's very science-based on habit formation. For whatever reason, bringing that into my life with all the other work that I've done, because I think women who want change, we do this all or nothing thing and this ambition, and then we burn ourselves out. Burnout is not the desire. Burnout is not the goal. So this 10-minute habit rule was based off of like his 2-minute rule, of like chunk everything down to 2 minutes. You want to go to the gym you put your shoes on, that's it for day one. <laughs> day two, you get in the car. Day three, you drive to the gym. Day four, you walk in the gym for two minutes, go home. You're just like stepstoning into that, right? For me, this 10 minute habit rule is what do I crave and desire and how do I wanna feel? I wanna feel alive and energized. So if we go back to my story of like when I had nothing and I had no energy and I'm like, okay, what can I do today that's more in alignment with feeling alive Pick one action and do it consistently. And it has to take less than 10 minutes a day. So I'm going to write in my journal every single day. I'm not going to know what I need to write, but it's going to be by my bed. And it's going to be there. And I'm just going to write in it before I go to bed. And it will be like, I'm feeling this. like Whatever the heck comes out and you want to write it for 10 minutes or less. Then you know what? Maybe the the second thing you're like, wow, I have a lot of blocks around creating space. I hear this space, space, space. Go for a 10 minute solo walk. If somebody's home and you have capacity for that, go for that walk. Do something that's emotionally uncomfortable for 10 minutes a day. Do it consistently and you'll watch your life change.
0: In terms of goal setting, because I feel like people get lost sometimes in this place, that are there goals that are more tangible, more achievable? I think sometimes our goal feels very fuzzy. Like I just want Everything to be better. I want to be happier, but it seems like this gigantic goal. Is it better to set a close, clear goal or are the large, kind of fuzzy goals just as achievable? What do you think?
2: So I don't create goals. I have like a desire list. So people will say, which is why I don't align, especially in business, like what's your five year plan, 10 year plan? The version of me today would be thinking way too small of what my five-year plan would look like because I'm going to become a different person. I don't know what I don't know. So I follow my desires. So my number one journal prompt that I use and I teach people is, wouldn't it be nice if? And that doesn't feel so rigid to me of like, what do I want? Again, right? That's like very confronting. Wouldn't it be nice if? Wouldn't it be nice if? And then just play with it. Put a timer on for five or 10 minutes and then write. And I tell people, do it again and again and again and again. Whatever comes out on that list is what you desire. Then you could pick one. Wouldn't it be nice if I had Fridays off? Wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to, you know, tuck in the kids every night? Wouldn't it be nice if someone made me dinner once a week? Like whatever comes out, then circle one and that's your quote unquote goal. And then ask yourself, how can I make this happen? What tiny actions do I need to take? If I don't want to cook dinner every night and that's on your list, are you just ordering takeout? Are you asking somebody else to cook? Are you, you know, getting some freezer meals? Like, what is happening? Come up with a plan, execute on the plan. But I, again, I think it goes back to this all or nothing. Like, you wake up one day and you're like, Oh my gosh, not this. I don't like this life. Okay, now I just need to change everything. I need to quit my job, move to Bali, and cut my hair. No. Right, Hallmark movie it. Yeah, (laughs) change it
0: all. Right. (laughs) Open my bar on the beach in Bali. I talk about that all the time, yeah. Yes, and you can do that. That could be your dream and desire, but it's like this eat, pray, love. My kids would come with me and they'd ruin it, you know? It's like, that's the problem with those big goals. Because you'd bring them because you feel guilty. Exactly. But I want to drill down a little bit because I feel... Feel like, this is such an important point that you make is that the danger of that all or nothing and that perfectionism. Because I, uh, this is exactly me. If I can't go to the gym and make it through a really hard one hour class and then take a shower and be clean and blow dry my hair, that's a fail, you know, and that being able to find the smaller wins on the way to the goal is something that I really struggle with. And you talk about that a lot. And is that solved by this breaking down? Is that how you kind of solve for that perfectionism problem that so many of us have? So I
2: have a lot of resistance around working out. And I'm a huge fan of accountability and support. And that does require a lot of people to financially invest in something if you have the means to that. And most of the time, well, I say most of the time, but you know, we are a consumer society. So most of the time, we do have the means, but we don't think we're worthy of the means. And you know, if it's for our children, we'll invest, but when we're doing it for ourselves. So investing in myself means time and energy. If I have to pay somebody to help me, that's, that's a whole other thing. But my goal, because I have so much resistance around working out, is not to actually work out. My goal is to get to the gym. And my ultimate goal is to not break promises to myself. So if I made a commitment to go to the gym, which I did today, and I did not go to the gym, but I told myself, okay, hey, you didn't go this morning. That's fine, Heather. You're fine. You're not a bad person. But when are you going to go this afternoon? I put it on my calendar. I tell my husband. I'm like, and if I don't go, right? Because now I'm like, well, you didn't go yesterday. So the compound effect of like me, one, forming distrust in myself, right? But I have to vote for the type of person that I want to be. That's what James Clear talks about, about habit formation. So I don't make the goal going to the gym or losing weight or even what my body is going to look like or feel like. One, I do it because I my bigger why is I want to be healthy and I actually feel amazing. It is in alignment with how I want to feel. But my goal is to get to the gym. I don't care how many reps I do. I don't care. And then, and then once I'm at the gym, my goal, I'm not kidding, then I make another goal. Okay, be here for 20 minutes. And I put my timer on. Okay, 20 minutes. Okay, you're almost halfway through. Another 10 minutes. And then I just, I have to make little baby goals while I'm in it.
1: Heather, tell us where our listeners can find you and your work and your workshops and everything that you do for women.
2: Yeah. So I share a lot on my podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. I talk a lot about the inner work, resistance, boundaries, all of that. Talk about parenting, work, all those things. The book is Dying to Be a Good Mother. You can get that anywhere books are sold online. I also have a really cool quiz on my website. It's Heather Chauvin, dot com forward slash life quiz and it actually shows you where to focus your energy and attention because it can be overwhelming and then how to chunk that down and you it's for free. You can go check that out on the website.
0: We will link to all of those places. Heather, thanks so much. This was such a great conversation today. Thank you. Thanks, Heather.